Uh, well, happy Palm, Palm Sunday to you. This uh, is really one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Uh, I love to uh, reenact Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. I love to wave palms and sing Hosanna. Uh, and in fact, since my hands were tied up during all of the singing and praising, uh, I did my best to wave a palm uh, there in the drum cage. So that was my best attempt. That's all the engineering prowess I have is to tape it to the drum cage. I uh, couldn't find a way to actually wave it. But uh, Anyway, I love today. I love this Sunday. It's, a, it's really a great time. Uh, and the truth is, you know, if we didn't know any better, uh, if we didn't know any better, we would think that this Sunday was just all about praising God, and there was nothing about this Sunday that would present us uh, with any challenges or any kind of new thoughts, things to go home and think about and stew over. Um, but of course, we know better than that, right? Uh, we know better than that. This is uh, it's an important Sunday. In the life of the church, it's an important Sunday for us uh, in what it means to be God's people. Uh, so let's get right to the point, shall we? <laughs> Every Palm Sunday presents us with a choice between the way of empire that is symbolized by the riding of a horse and the way of Jesus that is symbolized by the riding of a donkey or of a colt. Now, when I say the way of empire, what do I mean? Well, by empire, I mean this. Uh, empire is wealthy nations uh, that rule uh, by violence or the threat of violence who take on such an aura of confidence that they believe they have a manifest destiny to shape history according to their own agenda. Uh, that's what I mean by empire. I'll say that again. Uh, in, by empire, I mean wealthy nations that rule by violence or the threat of violence and who take on such an aura of confidence that they believe they have a manifest destiny to shape history according to their own agenda. And so empire then is symbolized by the riding of a horse because victorious soldiers would often ride their war horses into their hometown in a military victory parade. And so by way of empire, then, I mean the way of life that is mostly defined by things like greed, selfishness, and, if deemed necessary, the use of violence against those we deem a threat. That's the way of empire. Uh, now, the way of the kingdom of God is actually the opposite of empire. So instead of being defined through geographic boundaries and then defended through, through violence or the threat of violence, uh, the kingdom of God includes all nations uh, and is open to any who will call on Christ in faith and in repentance. So the kingdom of God is ruled not by violence or the threat of violence, but by forgiveness and love toward one another. And the kingdom of Christ then is symbolized by riding a donkey because it provides this radical alternative picture to that of empire. And so it's defined then, the kingdom of Christ is defined then by humility instead of arrogance, Love instead of hate, and forgiveness instead of revenge. I told you we would get right to the point. <laughs> and here's what Palm Sunday does. Uh, Palm Sunday, uh, this, kind of, these, this choice between which way of life are we going to adopt, the way of empire, the way of Jesus, on Palm Sunday, this choice is shoved right into our faces. <laughs> as we read and as we retell and, and, and literally reenact the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, not on a war horse, but on a young colt. 
Now, what's interesting is that each of the gospel writers kind of present this choice to us in different ways, with different nuances, uh, but the theme is always there in every, every one of the gospels. So, for example, in Mark's version, Mark's version of the story has all the flair of, of sort of nationalistic military parade as you read it. There's crowds and crowds of people. There's the waving of palms, and there's shouting of a coming kingdom. And, and if you didn't know better, you would think that, they, that there's this new leader who's arrived in town. He's going to come in on a new kind of war horse and he's got a new kind of crowd that he's building and all these it's just it's kind of the same story second verse if you didn't know any better but then mark does this this drastic change but where you have all these typical flares of of military parade but then in comes the leader on a donkey and it becomes clear from the way that mark tells the story that something else is going on something uh, is different this kingdom is unique And so what Mark does is he actually gives us sort of the counter parade to the normal Roman military parades that would have been entering into Jerusalem on the very same week. In fact, historians say it is very likely that as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the other side of town, there is literally another Roman march, military march, entering into Jerusalem the very same day. And so you have kind of these two pictures. What Mark's tale, is, Mark's version, is basically a tale of two parades and invites us to consider in what parade are we going to march. But Luke's version is actually quite different. Now, he presents to us the same choice, uh, but in a totally different way. And so as I read this morning's passage, it's our lectionary passage for today out of the Gospel of Luke, uh, I want you to think about sort of the staple images of Palm Sunday and see if we can hear this story with brand new ears, as though we're hearing it for the first time. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn or click uh, or follow along with me to uh, Luke chapter 19. I'll be reading verses 28 through 40. Uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Now after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to them, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. Now those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? To which they replied, The Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and then put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest." Now, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Well, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, then even the stones will cry out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Did you happen to notice what is missing in Luke's retelling of Palm Sunday and Jesus' entry into Jerusalem? It's interesting, isn't it? There are no palms. There's no waving of palms. 
There are no crowds, only disciples. In other words, Luke is very intentional to tell us this is the disciples of Jesus. And then there are no shouts of a coming kingdom, only brief mention of a king. To which you think, like, Luke stole all the fun out of Palm Sunday, <laughs> right? Like, it's a good thing we, need, we have these other kind of gospels to, to give us these rituals of waving palms and praising God and shouting Hosanna, right? But Luke's version is very different. It's as though Luke leaves these elements out so that this parade, his version of the parade, looks nothing like this military parade. So where Mark has a counter parade, with all the similar flair, but this surprising ending, Luke has the anti-parade. You with me? There's the counter-parade, and then there's the anti-parade. And here's what's interesting. In the absence of shouts of Hosanna, uh, we have another phrase of praise. <laughs> I love that. I don't know why. Like All week, I'm like, phrase of praise. That's pretty cool. How come we don't use that, you know? Uh, here's the phrase of praise. Um, like here, uh, There's a prayer request. And then, a, and then a phrase of praise, right? We could probably begin adopting that in our life groups. Um, do you have a phrase of praise you'd like to share? Um, you guys see, like it took a while. It was a slow burn, but I promise you'll get there. Um, so, so here we have, in the absence of these hosannas, we have this. We have, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In other words, as the disciples are welcoming Jesus, they create this mashup of two of their favorite hits. In other words, they're not making these things up. They're borrowing lyrics from previous songs. <laughs> and here's, the, here's where they're borrowing them from. The first one is borrowed from Psalm 18, verse 26, which says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You might have caught that, that Jen actually read that during our kind of initial worship set. Uh, the Psalm 118, verse 26, is one of the lyrics that these disciples use as they are welcoming Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But as is true with all mashups, you have to kind of insert your own creativity. You have to earn, insert your own interpretation. And so you have to take a little bit of liberty, as the disciples did. And so they insert the word king into Psalm 118, verse 26, and turn it into this. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And so already we get a sense that they're, they're, they're trying to make a statement in this anti-parade. Uh, and then... Um, who doesn't love the angel's announcement at Jesus' birth, right? Uh, glory to God in the highest, peace and goodwill to men. And so what they do is they kind of take that same angelic announcement that's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, and they make a slight turn of, turn of, of phrase, and then they say, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so it's interesting that what's happening is the disciples, in their welcoming cries to Jesus in this anti-parade, they create a mashup of their two favorite songs in order to create a new central theme where they join together these two themes, king and peace. Which is to say that Luke's version is, is totally void of pronouncements of a coming kingdom, and Luke's version makes no attempt to establish Jesus' right to rule by naming David's line. 
So what you see in the other Gospels is they're quick to name, this guy is coming in the line of David. He is the rightful king. He is the rightful kind of f- f- the one who will fill the throne, the rightful heir. All these kinds of things, they want to they make direct line to, the, to David, to Jesus. But Luke has no such thing. So it's void of any pronouncement of a coming kingdom. It's void of any attempt to establish Jesus' right to rule by naming David's line. What the gospel writer in Luke is seeking to, to do is establish Jesus as the king who will bring the peace that was pronounced at his birth. You with me? Let me say it again. What the gospel writer in Luke is trying to do is establish Jesus as the king who will bring the peace that was announced at his birth. Now, but he will still need to demonstrate what peace really looks like. I mean, after all, king and peace uh, are two phrases that are often put together. Uh, particularly in this world of expectation, of the, the rising of a, of a new king who will bring peace and bring freedom from oppression and all of those kinds of things. King and peace were phrases and themes often put together, but what it usually meant was that the king would bring peace by having greater military strength than their enemies. And so what Jesus has an opportunity to do in the events that will follow of what we have now come to call Holy Week is he will actually have the opportunity to show precisely what is meant by these two proclamations of a king who will bring peace. And this is why we have to pay attention to the nuanced telling of the Gospels. We have to pay attention to what the writers of the Gospel are trying to do. We have to enter into their world and then seek to apply it to our own. Rather than read the Scriptures kind of with our own set of of perspectives and our own worldviews, we come and we try to understand the text as it is so that we can begin to see how it applies and has implications for our own life. And so what Jesus does is is he begins to take these two themes and begins to actually embody this is the kind of king I'm going to be and this is the kind of peace I am going to bring. Now up to this point, it's important to know that there was only one kind of king. It was the kind of king who came in and kicked some butt. And there was only one kind of peace. I kicked your butt, so you're not going to do anything now. <laughs> so the peace was the absence, of vi- uh, the absence of violence through the threat of violence. You with me? But what Jesus does as, is, as this whole Holy Week narrative is framed in the Gospel of Luke by this entry of, of pulling these two themes together, peace and king, and what kind of king and what kind of peace. It's interesting in our, in our Pathfinders class, uh, the kids are learning about Palm Sunday, and they're opening right now, probably right now, they're asking two key questions. What does power look like, and what does peace look like? <laughs> and those are really, really important questions. Uh, because we can answer them in kind of in one way, the cultural way that we maybe have come to understand, but then there's, there's the way that the gospel answers these questions about what is peace, or what is power, and what is peace. So what Jesus does is he showed that his rule is carried out by service and by peace, by ending the cycle of revenge. So peace is is not sort of like, 
I beat you up and now there's peace, but rather peace is you bring insults and all this violence against me and I respond with forgiveness. And so peace is the ending of the cycle of revenge rather than just a whole new turn around the block. And so actually we're going to explore this idea more fully in the second week of our new series called The Beautiful Gospel that will begin next week. We'll explore that very idea in more detail. But essentially what I want you to see today is that what Jesus does is he embodies this, this kind of kingship that is carried out by service and by, by, by servanthood and by forgiveness. He allows violence, hatred, vitriol, sin to be exhausted in him as he responds with forgiveness. Now, let's have a moment of honesty. <laughs> moment of honesty is at this point in the message, some of you are, are, are probably thinking, there Andy goes again with all this preaching about peace. <laughs> um, let me say to you, like, this is very much a journey I am on. I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm not inserting this into the text. But rather, this, the lectionary has given us this text And in my study, I find that Luke does something totally different with Palm Sunday than the other gospel writers. Because there's no waving of palms, there's no shouts of Hosanna, there's only king and peace. And what I've come to see is that one of the central themes of the gospel is how Jesus embodies God's different way of ruling in the world. And that the contrast between the way of Christ and the way of empire are actually all over the biblical narrative. But I personally have just never had eyes to see it until recently. My prayer is that Christ's church would come to see the call of the Prince of Peace and how to operate in the world. It would come to see that the most powerful forces in the world are the forces of forgiveness and love and mercy. And they will not stop a bullet. And they may not even stop a bully. (laughs) But the earliest Christians believed that while we would never kill for Christ, we will happily die for Christ. With me? Now, at this, at these two, this, this mashup, right? The disciples sing their mashup. They, they take two lyrics from their favorite songs. They mash them together. They create these two themes of king and peace. And at this, the, the, the Pharisees, that, that is the religious leaders, the pastors, who are highly invested in keeping things as they are, those who have something to gain by playing chaplain to the empire, uh, this group of people, the Pharisees, try to get Jesus to rebuke his disciples, right? Here are the disciples praising Jesus by capturing these two themes, and the Pharisees come in and they're like, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. (laughs) We'll have none of this, right? The Pharisees, again, are Jewish leaders who had expectations of a coming Messiah, but who have largely rejected Jesus as Messiah uh, because they don't like Jesus' message of peace and forgiveness and love because it upsets their relationship with Rome. (laughs) They are highly invested in keeping things just the way they are. So if Jesus is going to come as the king 
who he needs to come then in the in the Pharisees' perspective as this, with the same as the same kind of king that we have always known. But here's what Palm Sunday does. Palm Sunday shows us that Jesus does not come as the king we expect, but he does come as the king that we need. Jesus does not come as the king we expect, but he does come as the king that we need. And so he comes as the king who will save his people from the tyranny of sin and establish a kingdom of everlasting peace. And so to the Pharisees, Jesus replies, you know, if they don't say this, if they don't do this, if they don't make these proclamations, then even the rocks are going to cry out. <laughs> what is Jesus saying? He is essentially saying that if the disciples did not bear witness to the peaceful kingship of Jesus, then creation itself will bear witness to this truth. That creation itself is longing for the revelation of a king who will bring actual, true, authentic, lasting kinds of peace. Now we can see that already creation bears witness to the peaceful reign of Christ, right? How many of you love to sit by like a mountain river because you just love the sound of the ripple, right? And you're like, this is just this, this transcendent feeling. I was hoping for like m at least one hand there, but that's okay, uh, right? So like how many of us saying, where do we experience the presence of God? We'll say in nature, in creation, in the mountains, right? When we look at the mountains, we, we kind of get this sense of the majestic, immovable nature of God. And when we listen to the ripple of the mountain stream, we, we sense that the, there's this, this consistent, steady, steadfast peace that God brings. And we get connected to God in creation. But man, we also see the creation kind of is still longing for the revelation of God's kingdom in all of its fullness, right? That there's plenty of creation that, that is uh, in, in toil uh, with, with natural disasters and weather patterns and, and uh, watch the Discovery Channel and the hunt and you say, like, creation is not at peace, right? Uh, in, fact, the, in fact, one of the Old Testament prophets, in anticipating the Messiah who will bring a lasting peace, began to talk about how the lion will lay down with the lamb and actually gives us these very specific uh, pictures of how creation itself will be at peace with one another. That, that what was once prey and the hunter now will live in peace. And so we get all these kinds of things. So Jesus is essentially bearing witness to this Old Testament prophet and the truth that he anticipated by saying, if these people of God, the disciples don't do it, then the rocks themselves, creation itself, will cry out and bear witness to the peaceful reign of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> well. So Luke offers us a choice on this Palm Sunday. The choice is, will we join creation in declaring Jesus as the peaceful king of all creation? Or will we join and echo the voice of the resenting Pharisees? I can almost hear the Pharisees say, yeah, but... <laughs> That isn't very practical. That's not how the real world works. And I suppose that there is a very real sense in which this isn't very practical and it's not how the real world works. But what Christ calls us to 
is not necessarily the most practical thing all the time, but what he calls us to is the expansion of, the redemption of, the sanctification of our imaginations. Can we, with the prophets, imagine a world where, that is at peace? Can we, with Jesus, say, even the rocks will cry out if the people of God do not bear witness to this? And so my, my encouragement to you, my challenge to you on this Palm Sunday is the same thing that Palm Sunday offers us year after year after year. I think it's a good reminder. Which thing will we bear witness to? Will we join the voice of creation and bear witness to the reigning king of peace, the prince of peace, as he's called at his birth? Or will we join the resenting voice of the Pharisees and saying, Jesus, rebuke those folks. Show them how the world really works. <laughs> and as I mentioned earlier in the message, this is very much a journey that I'm still on but I feel compelled to proclaim it and to share it. You, have, you probably have many questions. I do too. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet that many of them are the same set of questions. You may have frustrations. I do too. I don't know exactly how all this works. But I just bear witness to the fact that as I study the scriptures more and more, as I try to understand Jesus in his world and in his context, what I see over and over and over again is a Christ who is pushing the boundaries of what it means to be the people of God and live into peace, forgiveness, love, and mercy. There's nothing easy, quaint, or easily packaged about the, about the gospel. To live it authentically, uh, well, it takes a lifetime. <laughs> and so I invite you in. Uh, to the process of discerning what it means to be the people of God in today's world and in this time, hoping that each time we gather, we see what that means just a little bit more clearly each time. Well, let's pray together, and then I'll invite us to share in the Lord's table together. Heavenly Father, um, we come humbly before you today recognizing that we don't have all the answers, but we probably have more questions. <laughs> but also recognizing, God, that perhaps that's what's best, is, is not to parade arrogance and overconfidence as though we have everything figured out, but to humbly approach you um, each and every Sunday with open hearts and open minds about what it means to be your people. We recognize today that at least as Luke tells the story, that he declares you to be a king of peace. And so God, we pray that you would help us to work that out. Uh, and not just as the people of God, but, but recognizing, Lord, that while that is our primary allegiance and our primary identity, we also have vocations and jobs and relationships and, and we have lots and lots of questions about all the ways in which this plays out in those areas. It's probably really easy to be peaceful at church. <laughs> and so Lord, help us as we go down the road of discernment and, and uh, discovery. God, would you speak to us? Would you give us eyes to hear? 
ears to hear and eyes to see all that you have for us and what it means to be your people. And God, I pray that you would just translate this message uh, into precisely what each one needs to hear. Uh, I've done my best to present the truth of the gospel uh, in ways that make sense. I pray, God, that now you would uh, help us and that you would meet us at the table. As we gather together in unity, Lord, would you uh, meet us here, for we believe that your spirit is active and living in this place. And so, Lord, be with us in these moments as we gather around your table. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.